Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Welcome to Horizon West Church. Those of you in the room, those watching online, uh, we hope that you're bundled up. It's cold here, but uh, not so cold in the room. Um, I'll be honest with you, as we were singing a moment ago that song that says, I belong to Jesus, it struck me how incredibly audacious it is to say that. Because based on the week that I've had, it would be easy for me to feel like, man, I'm not sure I belong. I didn't dot all the I's and cross all the T's, and life was like survival mode. Blew up on my kids. Didn't show up where I needed to be. Like, it was tough, and maybe you're going through tough right now. And yet, because of the grace of God and the sufficiency of Jesus for you, you can say with confidence, I belong to Jesus. The way that I anchor to that truth more than any other way, or as much as any other way, is by having people in my life that remind me that it's true. By having brothers and sisters in faith, people that I do life with, who when I'm screwing up, when I'm an idiot, when I don't feel like I belong, remind me, Chris, you belong to Jesus. We're not here because of our merit. So our our merit or lack thereof can't disqualify us. We're here because of the grace and the sufficiency of God in Jesus. So I want to start by saying that. And speaking of belonging, you heard Marcy mention it, but if you would like to learn a little more about the church or kind of how to get plugged in, connected, our Connect Experience event next Sunday at 11, that that really is for you. Uh, And and she said last six months, I told her to say that, but if it's a year ago and you're like, yeah, but I just feel like maybe I was more involved and I haven't been as involved and I'd like to get back on, just come. Just register for that event at our website. Um, And there too, our group launch event on February 10th, a great way to meet people and get connected to a home group. Um, and, And those that are in groups throughout our church life will tell you Man, it is the right place to be. It's a place where you can belong and where you can do life with other people in that way. Uh, One last thing before I kind of get into the message part. Um, The next several weeks in the life of our church, I'm speaking to those online as well as those in the room, uh, they're going to be significant uh, in in a lot of different ways. And I want to encourage you just to be faithful in attendance for the next several weeks. Faithful in the room if that's your habit. If there's reasons you need to be online or you're going to miss a week, just watch online, listen to the podcast later, but, but you're not going to want to miss what's happening right here at Horizon West Church, um, and we're believing God's going to do some really cool things that we want to be able to share with you in that timeline. Well, last week we began a new series that we're calling First Things First, and this is a series that addresses what are called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Uh, so think prayer, think Bible reading, think fellowship and worship. It's just things that for centuries— Followers of Jesus have incorporated into their lives not to earn God's favor, not to impress God, but simply to help them do life interactively with God. Okay, that's what spiritual practices are. They're aids to the spiritual life. And we started last week with the subject of prayer. So let me say this. We're looking for ways to, to emphasize our belief in the power of prayer and simply to practice it more. So today, at the conclusion of the service, If you need to be prayed for, if you want to be prayed for, for any reason, we're going to have people down front, members of our leadership team here at the church, who will receive you. This is not going to be like, 
the song swelling and everybody's watching and you're walking down forward. This is like when everybody else is leaving, if you need to be prayed for because of something going on in your body, your mind, your relationships, your family, we'd love the opportunity to do that. And you'll hear a little more about that in a moment. I also want to begin this morning by praying and just by asking God to go before us, to meet with us and to reveal himself to us. So pray with me. God, it's a humbling thing not only to, to, to walk into the room, but God, to think that we could worship you and that you'd be pleased with it. To think, in my case, that I could preach from your word and, and, and somehow you can use that. But God, we know the power is not in a person. It's not even in a group of people. It's in your spirit manifesting through your word and through, the, uh, through song and through our fellowship together. God, that you would be magnified, that you would be lifted up. Um, and God, that this day would be transformative for us in different ways and at different levels that there would be some of us who would leave this room and know, and know man, we've met with God and we are not gonna be the same. That's my prayer. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Hey, before I, I get into the subject of today's uh, message, I want to share with you why we're ordering the, the messages in the way that we are. If you were here last week, you know that we began this series with prayer but I was actually tempted, not that it would have been a bad thing, but I was tempted to begin with Bible or scripture reading. And I want to give you some context for why that is. I grew up in evangelical Christianity. Um, you could say at this point, hi, my name is Matt and I'm an evangelical Christian. That would be okay, right? Like that was my, that's my background. That's what we are. And yet there's some trappings of that that I find I'm, I'm not, I don't love, not in love with. Oh, one of the things that was a mantra of my church growing up, they, they had this phrase, they repeated, and, and I had it memorized by the time I was probably eight years old, they would say, the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And on one level, I can go, that's a good thing, because what they were trying to affirm is that there's no other book, no other written word, no other idea that is going to rival or take preeminence over Scripture in my life, and that's a great thing. But here's the problem, here's the danger. It is possible to elevate the written word of God over the embodied word of God, which is Jesus himself. This is the very issue that Jesus addressed with a group of guys called Pharisees in the first century. He said to them in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, he said, you Pharisees diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, it's not the ones who know the Bible the best that are automatically closest to the heart of God. In Jesus' day, it just so happened that the ones who poured over the scriptures, who memorized the Torah, who could spit it out verbatim, Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away from me. So let us not be guilty of elevating the written word of God over the embodied word, which is Jesus. I would like to say it this way. Our perspective at Horizon West Church is God, all of God, and nothing but what God gives, including his word. But I want to expand our vision because the Bible is not meant to be a dead end or a cul-de-sac. It's a signpost pointing us the way to God himself, the foundation and finish line of our faith is God himself, not the things we receive from him. And that's why last week we began with prayer. Because to be in the presence of God, to know the heart of God, 
to, to know that you belong with Jesus is God's desire for you. And this book that I have in front of me and that we're going to spend the remainder of our time in, this book is a vital and essential, a powerful tool in that journey. I might illustrate it like this. If you told me that you wanted to go to the Grand Canyon, by the way, I've never been. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Let me see your hands. It's awesome, right? I've seen it in movies. I've actually been to Arizona a few times and no one saw fit to take me to the Grand Canyon. I guess now that I'm 40, it's just my job to get there, right? Like, can't blame other people. I need to get there. But I've heard the stories of those who have stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and just the overwhelming sense of awe at what you're experiencing. The, the majesty, the power, the wonder, going, man, I feel so small here compared to what I'm experiencing. But if you wanted to get to the Grand Canyon and that was the end destination, I might advise that you carry a map. I don't mean a physical map. I don't think those exist anymore. I mean that on your mobile device or some other device that you have Google Maps with you at your ready. You know why? Because if your goal is the Grand Canyon and you set out with any map or any directions, you're going to arrive at a ditch in Des Moines and what's worse, you're going to think it's the Grand Canyon. You'd be like, look at me, I'm here, I arrived. The hole in the ground that is the Grand Canyon. And everybody would look at you on your Instagram and they would just laugh and laugh and laugh. Go, That's not the Grand Canyon. Come on, how did that person end up there? And what's happening in our world today is there are a lot of spiritual seekers, people spiritually journeying to find God. But they have no map. And they have no understanding of what can actually lead them to the place of knowing and believing in God himself. And that is the goal and the place of Scripture. It is our map. I would say it like this. I believe every destructive belief that has introduced itself into Christian thinking has arisen from one of a few different places. One was a significant misunderstanding of some verse or passage of Scripture or a low view of Scripture as something less than the Word of God or other than God's Word or the elevation of some other text or other teaching as equal to God's word. See, some religious groups are sneaky with this. They go, no, 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 we fully affirm that this is the word of God alongside this word of God, right? Paul said in Galatians 1, look, if somebody introduces another gospel and, and I'm gonna say it like he said it, they can go to hell. Like this is where the gospel is contained. That this is what leads us to the truth of who God is. So when we veer from that map, we end up at a different destination, a dangerous place. And so what we're going to do over the next 20 minutes or so is I want to look at three prevailing views of the Bible in the modern world. Not that these are going to be really fleshed out, like your friends probably can't give you all the reasons they believe the Bible is this or that. It's just kind of the intuitive sense that people have of what Scripture is, and it matters because it will determine what Scripture produces or fails to produce in you. And my ultimate goal is that as we navigate our way through these, through prevailing, these three prevailing views, that it will ultimately encourage your appetite for God's word so that when you're not at church on a Sunday morning, when you're not at a Bible study, but when you're just on your own, there will be times where you just have a hunger to open the word of God and encounter him there. So that, that is my goal as we talk about these things.
Uh, one other thing, let me say, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to use terms interchangeably, the Bible, the scripture, the word of God, God's word. These are all meaning the same thing. They all refer to the book that I hold in my hands that we call the Bible. So perspective number one or view number one that people have of the Bible is this, the Bible as a relic. This is the view of movies like Indiana Jones or if your speed is more Monty Python and the quest for the Holy Grail. The idea that, that there's these religious texts that exist in this world, these religious artifacts that are some callback to some ancient time and really so serve no purpose in the world of today. In fact, the, the word relic is by definition a surviving memorial of something past or the remaining parts or fragments. And the danger should become pretty clear is that those who view the Bible as a relic will do two things. One, they'll see the Bible as irrelevant. Relic equals irrelevant. Because they will see it as part of the dead past and not the living present. That makes all the difference in the world. Scripture says about itself in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It can penetrate even to dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I don't know another ancient relic that can do any of that. I don't know anything from the ancient past that I could say is living and active today. The word of God is. The second danger is not only that it would be irrelevant, but that we would have the danger of tokenizing it. Treat the Bible as a good luck charm. We, we put it on the dashboard of our vehicles so we don't get in a car accident. And then we text and hope for the best. <laughs> don't do that. You'll hear stories about there was this tornado and it blew through and everything was destroyed, but the Bible wasn't destroyed. And I go, that's cool, and God can do that, and God can be in that, but the problem is this view will tend to, to place an unnecessary emphasis and priority on the written and physical binding that makes up the Bible, and there's nothing special about it. What matters is what it contains, which is the Word of God. And so when we view the Bible as a, a relic, we, we develop superstitions around it. It's the, the rabbit's foot in our pocket. It's the good luck charm. When I was growing up, there was this really clear rule that you couldn't place a Bible on the ground or the floor, and you couldn't have another book on top of it. Now, in one sense, that's great because it taught me a high view of Scripture. The danger is that we might somehow believe that a Bible laying on the floor doesn't have the same power as a Bible sitting on a bookshelf. The power is when we open it and read the word of God for ourselves. And again, most people do not, they, would, they wouldn't tell you, well, what's your view of scripture? I view it as a relic. They'll just say things like, man, I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, it's a religious thing. I'm not really religious. I don't really get into that. I, it's probably good stories. You know, you'll hear that kind of language. That's somebody that believes the Bible's really nothing more than a religious relic. And here's my greater concern. If that's what somebody believes about God's word, that's probably also what they believe about the church and about God himself. Yeah, that was something people used to believe in a long time ago when we didn't have you know, science and technology and you go, oh really, so we're doing a lot better now where anxiety and depression and brokenness. And they go, no, 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 this isn't something that we can get over and move on from. This needs to be part of our living presence. Here's the second way people view the Bible. They view it as a resource. 
Now this is certainly better than the relic view because it recognizes that scripture is meant to impact us in our actual lives, okay? So, so it's better than the relic view, the resource view. In fact, there is scripture that says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful or profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So, so scripture says about itself, yes, it is useful and profitable as a resource. But here's the problem. When we view the Bible as nothing more than a resource, we will place the value of Scripture on its ability to inform us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to help us. In fact, in other words, the Bible becomes something that is all about me. You'll see in bookstores, or I guess they don't have bookstores anymore, but if you go online to what used to be bookstores, um, you can find all these things, and there's nothing wrong with them. 365 promises from the word of God, one for each day, or, or seven proverbs to, to help you excel in your marriage, or, or 10 scriptures to promote wealth. Like You can find all of that stuff, and all of that speaks to people that go, yeah, yeah, the Bible's a resource. It's not just a relic. It's something useful. I, I thumb through the Bible, and I go, hey, God, I, I, need, some, I need some encouragement today, and so I, I look through, and, and I, I find Proverbs 25:12, like a gold ring on an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And I go, that's not comforting. <laughs> and by the way, I literally just opened it up and read that. That was weird. But, um, but you go, well, I didn't get what I needed out of that. And so what do we do? If it's a resource to benefit me and I no longer feel like it benefits me, I put it away. I'll skip, I'll skip all of this. And let me go to Psalm 23 because Psalm 23 is encouraging. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so better than the relic view, but it still falls short of what God desires for us when we come to his word. We're asking the wrong question. We're beginning at the wrong starting point. Now again, to be very clear, the Bible is a useful resource. I have found much wisdom and benefit from reading it, and it has helped me be a better husband and a better father and a better friend and a better servant and minister. Yes, but the primary purpose of scripture is not to be useful to you. The primary purpose of God's word is to reveal to us who God is and how he's redeeming the world. That's why the scripture was written. And if we come to it only from a lens of a felt need in the moment or something that can lift our spirits, we'll often walk away from the Bible discouraged because we didn't get what we thought we needed or wanted. Here's the third view, and I believe the right view, and we're going to spend the rest of our time on it. There are some that view the Bible as God's revelation. In fact, I might say that it was a twice-revealed book. First, it was revealed when the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of Scripture in what to write. God was there overseeing the process. And then the Bible is uh, revealed again when we, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, come to the Scripture and he opens the eyes of our soul and spirit to see the truth that is in it, that has to happen. Not everybody that's reading the Bible is being illuminated by it, right? God has to show up. So a twice-revealed book. In fact, someone once said that the Bible is the only book that when you open it, the author joins you in that moment. That's pretty cool, right? Like when you open scripture, God himself is present with you to illuminate and to teach you. That's why Paul said in the verse we read a moment ago, all scripture is what? It is God breathed. 
or, or take the way that Peter spoke about it. First Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Peter's saying, scripture is the revealed word of God. It didn't originate with us. We didn't make this up. John would say at one point, we, we were eyewitnesses of something. We, we saw the revealed presence of the embodied Son of God in Jesus, and we received the scriptures just as the prophets did by revelation, carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to take the opportunity, since we're talking about it, to make very clear what our position as a church is as it relates to the Word of God. Some of you early on, I was talking about the Bible in ways you're like, I'm not comfortable with this, like, Chris is going, you know, I almost said somebody's name, but Chris is going like, you know, ex-evangelical author on us or something. That's not what I'm doing. I, I want to make very clear our view on Scripture. This comes from both the Horizon West Church website. The same words verbatim are on the First Orlando website as well. We teach that the entire Bible, all 66 books of the combined Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired by God and are inerrant in the original writings. Through the providence of God, the word of God has been protected and preserved and is the only infallible and authoritative rule of faith and practice. That's what we believe about the Bible. Now, some of you went, I understood eight of those words. That's okay. <laughs> let, let me make the question more to the point. Because I don't think you're opening the Bible going, man, is this inerrant, infallible, authoritative for all, you know, you're not. You're going, can I put confidence in this? Isn't that what we're asking, right? Like, what genre are we dealing with? Is this historical fiction? Is this the truth of God? Like, what am I reading when I read the Bible? Let me return to this illustration I used earlier in the, in the message. The idea of a map that leads us to the Grand Canyon. The reason I think it matters that you have confidence in God's word, and, and I'm less concerned about whether you call it infallible or inerrant or authoritative or reliable or truthful or whatever, I'm more concerned that you have confidence in what you're reading. Because here's what happens when I lose confidence in a map. I go my own way. I'll never forget coming back from, from Nikki's parents one time, and, and I knew we needed to get north and east, and we always did it, and she said, uh, turn left here. And I'm like, but we don't turn left here. She said, the map turn, says turn left here. It's like, but, I, but, but it's wrong. <laughs> the map is wrong. I can't, well, what I didn't know is actually because of traffic, a quicker way to get where I needed to go by kind of taking me around. But when I lost confidence in the map, I said, I'm not, I'm not listening to the map anymore. Chris is in control now. I'm in the driver's seat. We're going this way. And in the same way, if you don't have a high degree of confidence that what you read in the Bible is the written word of God, the revealed word of God, when it comes, push comes to shove, when, when you read something that you bristle against or that doesn't fit in your lifestyle or doesn't, doesn't add up to your way of thinking, you're going to go, well, must not be true. And you're going to find yourself in that ditch in Des Moines. And I want you to have confidence. I want you to get to the end of your faith. I want you to get to the one the Bible is pointing to, that the true word of God would lead you to the living person of God in Jesus. I am not somebody to easily believe people. And if you're anything like me, then it's not going to be enough for me just to say, it's true, believe it. 
So I want to give you two reasons you can have confidence in Scripture. Two, two questions that have to be answered. Not because some pastor told you to believe it. Not because some church website said it. Not because some religious figure proclaimed it. I want you to have confidence. And so you've got to answer two questions. Number one, is what I am reading in my Bible also what was originally written? Now think about this. We're talking about thousands of years transpiring. We're we're talking about multiple 40-plus authors of Scripture. We're talking about various uh, languages into which it was translated to get to us. Like, can I know that what I am reading is what was originally written? And then secondly, is what was originally written true? (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, it might be what was said, but if it's not the truth, then I can't have confidence on it. So i got to answer those two questions. Number one, is what I am reading in my Bible what was originally written? It should come as no surprise to you that there are zero original copies of any ancient literature. Like, like we don't have the, 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 the paper, uh, the, the parchment that Socrates penned his works on. We don't have that, right? That doesn't exist. If you have or come across an original copy of any ancient literature, I will make you a good offer for it. Because my grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren would never have to work. They don't exist. So we got to go from original, uh, original writing to, to earliest copies. What's the time gap? What's the time lapse between those? And this is going to matter, and I'll, I'll show you why in a minute. Well, if we were to look at ancient literature, we would find that the most trusted piece of ancient literature, meaning they believe they know who wrote it and when he wrote it and have a high degree of confidence that what we have in traditional and, and modern copies is same as the original writing, the one that blows most all the other ones out of water is Homer's Iliad, written in 900 B.C., 900 years before Jesus, and we have a copy from 400 B.C., which is a long time ago. I mean, think about that. Somewhere in the world, there is a copy of Homer's Iliad that is 2,400 years old. That's a long time. And of those copies, there are 643 with an accuracy to each other of 95%, which should tell us something. If all of these copies, they have a 95% accuracy, then they're all working from the same source. We don't have the original, but it becomes clear that they did when they wrote So 500-year gap, 643 copies, 95% accuracy. Let's now compare the Iliad with the New Testament. The gap between the original writing of the New Testament and the first copy is not 500 years. It's actually less than 100 years. And not 643 copies exist, but north of 24,000 copies exist. And among those copies, there is a 99.5% accuracy among them which again tells us they're working from the same source. Like what they have in those copies is true. It was what was originally written, proof that the New Testament has been faithfully preserved throughout the generations. And somebody will ask, but aren't there different Bibles? Like, you know, this person has this kind of Bible and this person has that kind of Bible. And the answer is there are not different Bibles, but there are different translations of the Bible, okay? So you've got ESV, NIV, KJV, NASB, you know, uh, ECV, all all the different ones. And you go, how can I know if they're all different? And what I would tell you is if you were to do, and I would encourage you to do this uh, sometime this week, if you were to go to a place called BibleHub.com, H-U-B, BibleHub.com, and take a verse in the Bible, maybe you only know one verse, John 3.16, punch it in, that's fine. And then it'll give you all the different translations that exist in English for John 3.16. 
And you know what you would find? You would be struck not by how different they are. You would be struck by how remarkably similar they are. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God gave his one and only son. That whoever, and on and on it goes and you go, there's a word that's translated differently or, or this person kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the phraseology is a little different. But they're all pointing to the same truth. And I tell you that because some people who don't have a leg to stand on and don't really know what they're talking about will just shoot holes in the Bible and go, well, there's all these different translations and all these different people wrote it and it was over all these thousands of years and you can know, yes, but what we have is what was written. It is true to the best of the ability of those translating. Unless you know Hebrew or Greek, and don't think that because I passed seminary, I know them. They were my worst grades. But if you know Hebrew and Greek, good for you. The rest of us need a translation. And even in our English copies of translation, what I can tell you is you're reading the right thing. You're reading the same thing. Second question and also important is, is what was originally written true? Now again, take Homer's Iliad. Over a 500-year span with the original copies lost, it's believed that what Homer was doing was taking real people, real places, and in some cases real battles, but also a lot of imagination. If you've ever dug into the Iliad, you know it's, it's what's called epic poetry. Um, in modern vernacular, it might be something like uh, historical fiction, okay, taking kind of true ideas, true concepts, but then elaborating on them, and people go, well, maybe that's what the Bible's doing. So how can we know it's any different? So consider again the writing of the New Testament. Completed by 100 AD, which is less than 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, and almost all of it was completed within 40 years. And why does that matter? Here's why it matters. If you try to pull the wool over somebody's eyes about something that happened 40 years ago, you're not going to be very successful. I could tell you, hey, I've done some research, and it turns out Ronald Reagan actually lost his second bid for election in 1984. And you go, no, no, I've seen the assassination attempt. I remember Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall. Like, I, I know that he served two terms. That's, that's historically documented. Or you go, hey, I'm here to tell you, I know some of you think this is, but the Challenger didn't actually explode in 1986. Some of you remember watching it in your classrooms or elsewhere on the news, and somebody says, no, 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 that didn't happen. And you're like, yes, it did. There were eyewitnesses. There were people that saw it. We, we, we know for sure that happened. The writers of scripture did not wait until everybody that had lived at that time was gone and then go, oh, here's what actually happened. It's actually the opposite of that. At the time that it was written, it was put into circulation at a time where people who maybe thought that it didn't happen could have proved them wrong. Like, they were still there. They were still living. And the Bible is not written like epic poetry. It names places and people. And while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and this person went here, and these things happened. And oh, by the way, the Bible says that when Jesus was ascending to heaven after his resurrection, there were over 500 witnesses. So the Bible isn't trying to be some religious material making up stories and myths, but it is put out in the generation in which those people were living. Because it is true, and because we can know that it is true. Here's my conclusion as it comes to these things. If what I'm reading is what was originally written, and if what was originally written is true, then I can have confidence in the integrity of what I'm reading. 
and you can have confidence in the integrity of what you're reading when you read the Bible. Let me rehash really quickly and then we're gonna kind of close this thing off, but three views of scripture. Again, not ones that people think a lot about in most cases. Some people view the Bible as a relic, nothing more than a good luck charm or something to bring them good fortune. And the problem with this view is that it is, it is completely the wrong view. It's not what the Bible is. Other people see the Bible as a resource. They ask the question, how can I get comfort or success or wisdom or whatever it might be out of God's word? And this isn't necessarily a wrong view, but it is certainly an insufficient view. And then others will say, and I believe they are right, the Bible is revelation. It is the revelation of God himself And when I come to it, I don't ask the question, how can I get this particular thing out of it? I ask this question, what is God revealing in this particular passage? Keep in mind something that scholars like to say, context is king. The Bible is written in a context. It's written to a specific group of people in a specific place. And so the first question becomes, okay, what is God revealing to those he originally wrote it to? Paul was writing to Corinth. Peter was writing to the diaspora that was scattered. Like, what were those who were receiving it first understanding it to mean? And once I've figured that out, God, what do you have to say to me in this? The Bible is not done until it becomes that double-edged sword that penetrates your soul. Can I share with you when that happened for me? Grew up in a Christian home. My dad was pastoring at the time. I had actually, by that time, memorized probably four books of the Bible in their entirety. And my heart was as cold and distant as one could possibly be. And a friend named Matt, who knew almost zero Bible, showed up at a place that I was at and said, Hey, Chris, I gave my life to Jesus, and he's changed everything. And I went, What? I'm thinking relic. thinking maybe a resource. I'm not thinking there's anything more to it. But I knew enough being in a church home and knowing a lot about the Bible that if I went to the Gospel of John, I I could maybe discover something more about the life of Jesus. And I began to read as a 15-year-old, and I came to John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, The thief is going to come only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And in that moment, the words spoken by Jesus to a first-century group of Jewish people became words of life to me in the 20th century. It it quickened my spirit. It, 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 for the first time, led me to believe that maybe the way to have life to the fullest was by pursuing Jesus. And within just a couple years, God had called me to full-time vocational ministry. I was preaching the gospel. I was having doors open for me because God met me. It wasn't some ancient dry text anymore. It became for me what it truly is, the living word of God. I want you to know that because I don't want to deprive you of the opportunity and the experience to open up your own Bible and to read the living words of God and to be transformed by them. Scripture says that that no word of God returns void, but it accomplishes what it was set forth to accomplish. So read it, immerse yourself in it, dive into it. There's going to be parts you don't understand. You just kind of read through it, Lord, help me understand it, and and then keep going and keep reading. Because I believe this is the word of God. It's meant to lead us to the person of God himself.
And here's what I want to challenge you with as we close. I'm going to set a goal of reading through the New Testament again uh, by Easter of this year. That's three months away. Some of you may have never read the New Testament in its entirety. Others of you have pieced it together, but you've never just sat and read through it from start to finish. And this could be transformative, not only for you, but for our community and our church, that many of us, dozens, more than 100 maybe, just come together and go, hey, we're not doing it together. We're just doing it on our own, but, but we're reading the words of Jesus. We're learning who he was and what that means for us. In fact, I'm so believing in this that I want to make it really easy for you. If you don't have a copy of the Bible or if the copy of Scripture you have is hard for you to read, hard for you to understand, there's a group called the Tyndale Publishing House that has put out a format of the New Testament that reads like a book. It's the same words, same truth, it's the same divine revelation. But rather than the, the big numbers and the small numbers and the, the, the editorial notes and all of that that can be confusing, it's just the book from start to finish. And I want to encourage you to join me in the reading. And, and if you've got your own copy of Scripture and you don't need it, that's okay. But don't feel bad if you want to take it. We're not charging for it. It's like, man, we want you to know the Word of God. And we're going to make it as easy as we can for you to do just that and join me in that journey. The last thing, and then I'm going to pray. As I told you earlier, we've got some folks who are going to be down front at the conclusion of the service. If you've got something heavy on you, you've got something coming up, kind of just around the corner, you go, man, I really need prayer for this. They're going to be here to do just that. Would you pray with me and then we'll close in worship. God, I again just am humbled that you can use your word in the uh, mouth of anyone, uh, the voice of anyone who's proclaiming the truth. God, I pray that our church community would grow in our hunger and grow in our appetite for Scripture such that, that we find ourselves drawn to it. We, we, we want it, not legalistically, not got to check this box or do this daily plan or whatever, but just coming to your word because your word is life. So Lord, I pray we do that. I pray for those that struggle with the faith and go, man, I, there's things that are hard to believe. There, there's things in there that I, I, I struggle with. That's okay. Lord, your word says that even faith like a mustard seed can produce great results. So let us start with what we've got and come to your word and be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.